Hey, welcome to Super Week. We know there's a football game happening between a California team and the Swifties, but this week is kicking off an all-star lineup of events. First, our uncommon men are invited to a Super Bowl party Sunday night in the stoop. That's our student center located in the front. Text Dave if you're planning to come and let him know if you're bringing a dish or your favorite snack. Next, our daddy-daughter dance is happening on Friday the 16th. Your daughters will truly love this event. And following up that event on Saturday the 17th will be our Valentine's dinner for our couples. There will be food, childcare, and entertainment. I heard they sprung for a comedian. Our next Pathways session is Tuesday, February 20th. For those that don't know about Pathways, it's our on-ramp to membership and involvement. There are three sessions or steps to our Pathways. We provide a meal and childcare. Go to our website, click on the Pathways banner to register. On Saturday, February 24th from 9 to 10.30 in the Commons Ground, we will be having a women's breakfast. Ladies, if you plan on attending, text Kim Hamlin. We have a super event coming up for our elementary age kids. CIY Superstart is from March 8th through the 9th for 3rd to 5th graders. The cost will be $70 to go. Contact our kids pastor, Ashton Davis, to find out more. Also, our Jumpstart session will be February 18th. This is our elementary age kids seeking baptism. If you are new to Shelby Christian or maybe you're visiting for the first time today, stop by our I'm New wall located in the lobby. We have a gift for you. We would love to meet you and get connected. Well, it's time to worship and now you know the latest happening on the hill. Hey, church family, good morning. Y'all looking good out there. As you're standing to your feet, I want you to tell your neighbor this. No matter what happens tonight on the football field, we're already winners, amen. And we're going to worship the risen Savior this morning. Let's celebrate together. Every word, every wish 
your voice to him right now and just say, Christ, be magnified in my life. Right here in this place, above all things, just continue to worship him.
because you you're the strength of our life Lord you're the joy of this life God nothing can you just say nothing nothing compares to him God may you be center on the altars of our lives God You sing that one more time in this place. I will build. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I 
time I will, I will build. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be Put your trust in him. Can you just raise a banner of praise in this place? Amen. warped sense of humor. <laughs> I just thought when I first saw that I was actually hysterical. Um, if you would turn your Bibles with Genesis chapter one, uh, I'm Bobby Woods, a discipleship pastor here in case you don't know me. Um, there once was a couple driving in an old car and, and those of you that remember cars used to just have one long bench seat. There was no console in the middle. That's the way my first car was. And Anyway, this couple drives up to a red light and sitting in front of them is the exact car, except it's been totally restored. It's got a new paint job, a new interior, new wheels and tires, and it just looks beautiful. And, and, and the lady in the car in the back looks forward and, and she sees this woman all the way up against her husband with her arm around him and she's running her fingers through her hair and his hair. And so she looks over at her husband and says, why don't we do that anymore? And he looked over at her and he said, I'm not the one that moved. <laughs> Told you I don't want some humor. Today we're starting on a new series called Let's Go Build a Marriage. And so for the next four weeks, 
uh, we're going to be looking at different aspects of marriage. And this week we're talking about getting to know each other. Now, I know there's some tension that when marriage series seems to have on singles, um, I know that a lot of singles will just opt out of church whenever we're doing a marriage series, but, but I understand your tension and your frustration and often the insensitive approach that the church takes towards singles when they do a marriage seminar. So singles are no less valuable than married people, and singles are no less called to follow or serve God than married people are. And singles should not be treated like adolescents, unless they act like it, which can be true of most married people as well. And there are many singles that would gladly marry if there were quality opportunities. And many Christian singles choose not to marry because frankly, the options available can appear far worse than being single. And I'm proud of singles that are making the most of their lives instead of waiting passively and walking around like they have been shafted by God. So I believe there are many things in these next few weeks that will help singles in in dealing with children, in dealing with grandchildren, in, in work, in different friendships, and even relationships. So we're going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first book in the Bible on verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now I want to point out a few things in these verses. First is the fact that man is made in God's image. Man is given authority to rule over the rest of creation. And man is created as male and female. As the human race comes from the hand of the creator, it comes divided as male and female. Both are made in the image of God. One is not superior over the, and the other inferior. One is not greater and the other lesser. In terms of bearing God's image, men and women stand before God, equal in value, worth, and dignity. And we see that in Galatians chapter 3, for it says in Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what's the implication of these words? The meaning is simple. When it comes to salvation, men and women are admitted on equal basis to the body of Christ. No one has advantage over anyone else. Everyone is saved the same way. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, we can add two other items to our list. Men and women are equally redeemed and are equally heirs of the grace of God. Putting it all together, we can say that the human race comes from the hand of the creator. Men and women are equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in worth. And as men and women are added to the body of Christ, they are equally redeemed and equally heirs of the grace of God. So are men and women equal in God's eyes? Yes. Does God favor men over women? No. By virtue of the image of God, there is a fundamental equality that spans the gender gap. That answers a great question. Does the Bible teach equality? Yes, it does. But Genesis 1 is not the whole story. What we don't know is that equality will work out in the interplay between man and woman. And in order to discover that, we have to look at Genesis chapter 2. And what do we discover when we read Genesis 2? If I could answer that question in one word, it would be differences. Genesis 2 is all about the differences of man and woman. And note the following facts. Adam is created first. Adam is given the mandate to care for the garden. Adam is given the warning concerning the forbidden tree. Adam names all the animals. Eve is taken from Adam's side. Adam names her woman. And the man is the one who's supposed to leave his father and mother. So what's the implication of all these facts? Adam is in leadership role in the garden before the fall. He is created first because God intends that he would be the leader in the relationship, in the spiritual home. He's given the mandate to care for the garden because the primary role of subduing the world is his. He's given the warning because God will hold him personally responsible as head of the family. He names all the animals because he is king over the creation. Eve is taken from his side not he from her side. Adam names her woman and later Eve because he is the leader of the relationship. The man leaves his parents and becomes the leader of the home and the man is supposed to take the initiatory steps in the marriage relationship. Now I've said all of that, but God created man and woman completely different. Now, before I go any farther, I want to, these qualities that I'm about to talk about are not mutually exclusive. These are descriptive, but not exclusive. And they're certainly not exalted. And I'm going to warn all you parents out there, we're going to get a little PG-13 this morning. Now, God created men's brains with boxes or rooms. There is a room for everything. Men have a room for their car, for their money, for their jobs, for you, for their children. And we have a room for emotions, but that's in the basement. <laughs> we have a room for everything. And the rule is none of the rooms touch and only one door is open in a room at a time. When men discuss a particular subject, we go into that room, open the door, and we close it behind us. We discuss only what is in that room, nothing else. Amen, simplicity. Yes, yes. 
now, now women's brains are built completely different. Uh, imagine, uh, imagine a big group of bare wires with electricity running through them, okay? Or, or, or a big bowl of spaghetti, okay? Everything is connected to everything else. Money is connected to the car, which is connected to the kids, which is connected to her mother, which is connected to her childhood, which is connected to your house, which is connected to tonight's dinner, which is connected to her best friend, which is connected to everything else. It's like the internet superhighway in there. And all of that is driven by the energy we call emotion. That's why women tend to remember everything. (laughs) Because when you take a connect convent and you connect it with an emotion, it burns into your memory and you can remember it forever. Now it can happen to men, but not that often because frankly, we don't care. (laughs) And women care about everything. The average woman speaks 20,000 words a day, but a man only speaks seven. 7,000 words. By the time he comes home from work, he's used all his words, but she still has 12,000 left to go. You ask your wife to pass the butter and you get a novel. Now they did a study on toddlers years ago and they observed that when boys get together when they're young, they don't make a lot of conversation, but they make a lot of noise. Bang, bang, bang. But girls, on the other hand, will take two dolls and they'll have an extensive conversation between the two of them. Even when they're by themselves, They continue to do that. Uh, My daughter Amber recently took a video of my three-year-old granddaughter Ellie who was walking around the house on her play phone having a conversation with her Uncle Luke. So we know that girls and boys are just built differently. A woman is always thinking. Their brains are continuously working. It doesn't have to be about them or you. Now, some of you are here in the front uh, are are wondering, what's in my cup, aren't you? I know you are. It's Diet Dr. Pepper, if you must know. When a man is asleep at night, 70% of his brain shuts down completely. That's why when a baby cries in the middle of the night, most of the time men won't hear it. And, but when a woman is in her deepest sleep, 90% of her brain is still going. And when women wake up, a lot of the time they can remember their dreams, right ladies? But men, has your, have you ever woken up with your wife who's had a dream and you did something stupid in your dream and they're mad at you? And they're mad at you. They say, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. What did I do? You know what you did. I woke up. 
but, but women are always thinking. Their brains are continuously moving. Men are capable of doing something that women can't do. You see, we have a room in our brain called nothing. Yes. Yes. We can think about absolutely nothing. Men can sit and stare off into space or the TV and think about nothing and appear to be brain dead. If you put a camera in our head when we are in our nothing room, it would be a dark room. At best, a screensaver. Of all the rooms in our brain, this is our favorite room, the nothing room. That's why a man can spend hours fishing or sitting in a deer blind, making no noise whatsoever. This is a scientific fact. The University of Pennsylvania did a study and determined that men can think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. If a man has a chance, he will go to his nothing box all the time. And women can't grasp that idea. That's why a woman will come up to a man in his nothing room and say, what are you thinking about? <laughs> nothing. Take a brain scan of a man when he is reading or watching TV and he is virtually deaf. It's like we're in a room and the door is closed, but women's brains have all their doors open at once. Women have got to get a man to close the TV door and open the listen to me door. But you gotta give guys time to reboot. That's why when Carrie, my wife, talks to me when the TV is on, I have to either pause the stream or hit the mute button because I am not capable of listening to her and watching TV at the same time. That's why women, when you see your husband engaged in some activity, don't be trying to give him vital information because <laughs> that's a train wreck waiting to happen. Ladies, how many times you know you told your husband something he swears you never told him? Okay? <laughs> God made men with a defense mechanism not to stop whatever they're doing. That's why when you can tell a man something while he's engaged in something, he'll respond, huh, yeah, uh-huh. But never hear what you said. Researchers call this focus disease. We like to do one thing at a time. That's why men will get angry when a woman tries to tell him to do something when he's in his project room. She tries to jerk him out of one room and into another room. Remember, ladies, God made you smarter than us. Tell him one thing at a time. And if you have more than one thing you want him to do, make a list so he can go through them one at a time. Now, ladies, you need to be aware that as a whole, men do not hear as well as you do. Now, you may not know this about me. I'm almost totally deaf in my left ear, and I don't hear well on my right ear. So I have hearing aids on even over all this contraption. Now, in my house... 
You walk in the door and the kitchen's right there, the dining room's there, living room's there. So it's kind of an open floor plan. Now, when my wife talks to me, I have to look at her. If I'm not looking at you and you're talking, most of the time I'm not going to understand exactly what you're saying. So if we're sitting on the couch, that's fine. But she tries to talk to me from the kitchen. Okay. And then worst is she'll be talking to me from the kitchen. Then she'll walk into the bedroom and then into the bathroom. And she's trying to give me vital information. Okay. That just doesn't work. Or she will have a conversation and she'll say something to herself and I'll say, what? And she'll get aggravated at me that I didn't hear her. You both need to be aware of your differences. This simple issue causes more arguments, more disagreements, and more fights than any other issue in your marriage. The problem is you're fighting about the way God made you. You are different. You married your opposite as a gift from God. They're good at everything you're not good at. Now, ladies, when you talk to your husband, try not to add editorial comments. Like, you never help me clean the house or watch the children. I have to do everything myself. (laughs) Women, you need to understand that men are performance and oriented by God's design. You need to give them instructions that are short and direct. Don't give them a lot of details. After 12 years of marriage, journalist Amy Sutherland was still irked by her spouse's habits. It took some advice from animal trainers to help her. In a column in the New York Times, she wrote, These minor annoyances are not stuff of separation and divorce, but they begin to dull my love for Scott. I wanted, needed to nudge him a little closer to perfect, to make him into a mate who might annoy me a little less, who wouldn't keep me waiting at restaurants, or a man who would be easier to love. Like so many wives before me, I ignored a library of advice books and set apart trying to improve him. And my nagging only made his behavior worse. A breakthrough came when she went to a school for exotic animal trainers in California to research a book. She wrote, I listened as a professional trainers explained how they taught dolphins to flip and the elephants to paint. Eventually, it hit me that the same techniques would work on that stubborn but lovable species, the American husband. The central lesson I learned is that I should reward behavior I like and ignore behavior I don't. After all, you don't get a sea line to balance a ball on its head by nagging. The same goes for men. Back in Maine, I began thanking Scott if he threw one dirty shirt into the hamster. If he threw in two, I'd kiss him. Meanwhile, I would step over all the dirty clothes on the floor without one sharp word, though I did sometimes kick them under the bed. But as he basked in my appreciation, the piles became smaller. Now, many women have accused men or have been accused of making a man miss his exit because she's talking to him. 
Do you remember before we had Google Maps, we actually had a map? Now, now men, when, when you read the map, you had to pull over, turn off the radio, and ask everyone in the car to be quiet so that we could read the map. You see, men have difficulty reading when there's background noise. And there's also the toothbrush test. You see, a woman can brush her teeth, pack a school lunch, wipe down the kitchen counter, give instructions to her children in the morning, and still not spit on anything. But 95% of men, when they brush their teeth, they have to stand right in front of the sink. Two feet, two feet apart, left hand on the sink, right hand with a toothbrush. And most of the time, we don't even use move the toothbrush, we move our head. (laughs) Many men have cut themselves shaving because their wife wants to have a conversation while he's in the shaving box. And you know, men, you are really married to a multitasking woman when you are in a intimate situation and your wife whispers, by the way, the toilet's running. (laughs) Focus, woman, focus. (laughs) Nothing shows more about the differences between men and women like sex. That's why they say a man's interest peaks at 18 and goes down from there. Here is a scientific graph to show how men's interest declines. This is when he dies. (laughs) When we talk about sex in men, you have to understand that men do not think with their brains or their hearts. They are driven by testosterone. It runs through our blood and it can drive us crazy. Ladies, if you knew how much of our thoughts and hormones swim around in us, you would be more disgusted than you already are. (laughs) At age 18, a man thinks about sex every 90 seconds. That's why a man can become aroused over nothing. It's said that men are microwaves and women are crock pots. (laughs) Another thing to remember is that men are visually stimulated. That is why porn is so rampant in our society. So ladies, do not hide your naked self from your husband. He needs... (laughs) I need where to go. (laughs) He needs to see you to help him keep away from the temptation to look elsewhere. Now, when men think about their happy place, go to the next slide. There we go. This is a man's happy place. This is a woman's heart. 
So, when we talk about sex, you have to understand that men, when they're thinking about their happy place, they're only thinking about their happy place. Now, women are disgusted by this. They think, oh, he should think, be thinking about caring and companionship and fellowship and sharing. Ladies, if he was thinking about caring, companionship, fellowship, and sharing, he would have gotten a dog. <laughs> the problem is most men fail to realize that to, the key to get to a happy place is to go through her heart. When a man successfully touches a woman's heart, then she gives him the green light to his happy place. You see, God created men like this so they could focus on a woman's heart. And men, that's why we have to do things to make our wives happy. Most women, when they want something though, they tend to hint at it. It's like you're driving down the road and your wife says, you want some more coffee? You say, no, I got plenty of coffee here, I'm fine. 10 minutes later, you realize she's upset about something. You say, what's wrong? She says, it's fine. When a woman says it's fine, you know it's not fine. What's the problem? I wanted coffee. Well, why didn't you say you wanted coffee? You asked if I wanted coffee. And that's why when a couple gets married, a woman will ask a man, promise me something, never lie to me. Now, let you in on a little secret. Women say that they want the truth, but that's not really what they want to hear. That's why when you ask what we're thinking and we say nothing, we just told you the truth. But that's not what you wanted to hear. Come on, you have to be thinking about something. <laughs> and they start to accuse you. Why won't you tell me what you're thinking? Share with me. Nothing drives a woman more crazy than seeing a man doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> women look at men and think, I can multitask. He must be able to multitask. He's watching TV. He's running the TV program. He's in the TV room. He can only run one program at a time. Women have two X chromosomes. Men only have one. That's why most men look like they got dressed at Goodwill. <laughs> because when we look at the colors of the rainbow, we only see a rainbow. We don't see chartreuse. Because men don't see colors that women see. In fact, it's rare for a woman to be colorblind, but one out of 12 men are. I'm one of them. God made us totally different. That's why men will wear the same outfit two or three days in a row or wear the same hat 365 days a year. Men have two or three of the same outfits in their closet. If another man sees another guy with the same outfit, they'll fist bump. Yeah, we're thinking alike. If a woman sees another woman with the same outfit on, oh no. 
Men like to sleep on the same side of the bed, eat off the same plate, drink out of the same coffee cup. Don't mess with my stuff. That's why I drink out of this cup every single day and it gets washed like every six months, I think. (laughs) Women have 180 degree peripheral vision. Men have long range vision. Men are four times more likely to be broadsided in an accident than a woman. You know why? Because we don't see as well. That's why when you're in the car with your husband and you go, "Ah!" and he goes, what are you talking about? I didn't see nothing. (laughs) Men can judge distances better and have better long range vision. That's why men have no problem parallel parking and drive better at night. That's also why we make better hunters. God designed us this way. That's also why man can't keep what's, can't see what is right in front of them. They can't find their keys or their wallets or their socks when they're right in front of them. See, they did a study in England years ago to see how men and women are different. They had this couple go into an apartment and make a meal that they'd never been into before. And there were video cameras everywhere. Once they were seated at the table, they asked, the woman asked the man to go get the butter. Well, the women had been told to take the butter, put it on the second shelf right in the middle. And the man goes to the refrigerator, he opens it up, 48 out of 50 of them, and he does this. You ever notice that's how we do men when we look in the refrigerator? We have to go up and down like that, like an umpire. Women can see it right there. And 48 out of 50 men could not see the butter right in front of them. There's no butter. Yes, there is. There's no butter. The woman comes and gets it. And the man says, oh, whatever. A woman's skin is 10 times more sensitive than a man's skin. That is why most women love to touch and to hug and to cuddle. Now, men, most of the time she just wants to cuddle. She could do the same thing with a cat, a puppy dog, or a bunny rabbit. So don't misread this. She isn't asking for sex. When I was pastoring outside Pittsburgh, we always had children's sermons. Uh, We had all the kids come forward, and I would do a little children's sermon, and then they would all go off to their children's programming. And one time, I held up this shirt that I really, really liked, but someone had told me that shirt was ugly and should be thrown away. And I said to the kids, I said, I'm having trouble forgiving the person who said these main things. Do you think I should forgive that person? And my daughter, Amber, who was six, raised her hand and said, you should. I said, but why? This person really hurt my feelings. And Amber says, because you're married to her. (laughs) As a couple, you need to learn to forgive. Now, when my wife gets upset, she raises her voice and she blows up and then it's over with. I, on the other hand, withdraw, I get quiet and I bottle everything up. Realizing how our two two of us in a relationship deals with anger and emotion can help us forgive and fight fair. Now, Gary Chapman wrote a book years ago called The Five Love Languages. 
People speak different love languages. And after many years of marriage counseling, Chapman's conclusion is that there are five emotional love languages, five ways that people speak and understand emotional love. And Chapman believes that once you identify and learn to speak your spouse's primary love language, you have discovered the key to a long-lasting love language. He is convinced that we all have like a big tank that we fill up our love in. And if that tank is low or empty, then we have a difficult time and we'll be constantly in conflict with those in relationship with in the five languages, the first one is words of affirmation. They are verbal compliments or words of appreciation and they're powerful communications of love. Giving verbal compliments is one way to express words of affirmation to your spouse. Another dialect is encouraging words. And we must first learn what is important to our spouse. Only then can we give encouragement. Sometimes our words say one thing, but our tone of voice means something else. If your deepest pain is the critical judgmental words of your spouse, then perhaps your love language is words of affirmation. We can choose to live today free from the failures of yesterday. There's also something called quality time. If your mate's primary love language is quality time, your spouse simply wants you being with them, you spending time with you. And spending time in common pursuits communicates that you care for one another, that you enjoy being with one another, that you like to do things together. And one of the most common things to do with people who enjoy quality time is to have quality conversation. That means sitting down and sharing your feelings and your desires. Words of affirmation focus on what we're saying, whereas quality conversation focuses on what we're hearing. Ask yourself, what emotion is my spouse experiencing? When you think you have the answer, confirm it. For example, it sounds like to me you're feeling disappointed because I forgot. Three weeks after their wedding day, Joanna called her pastor in hysterics. Pastor, she cried, John and I had our first fight. It was awful. What am I going to do? Calm down, Joanna, her pastor answered, leaning back in his chair. This isn't nearly as bad as you think. Every marriage has to have its first fight. It's natural. I know, I know, Joanna said impatiently, but what am I going to do as a body? One way to learn new patterns is to establish that daily sharing time in which each of you talk about three things that happen to you in your day. Chapman calls this the minimum daily requirement for a healthy marriage. Now, the third gift is called gifts. A gift is something you can hold in your hand and say, look, he was thinking of me or she remembered me. And that can be a card, a little note that you, a post-it note you stick on the mirror or in her car, or just little things. Ralph and Janice were married for 50 years and their big 50th wedding anniversary, so Pastor James asked Ralph to come forward in church and talk about how he managed to live with the same woman for all those years. Ralph turned to the congregation and said, 
Well, I treated her with respect. I sent money on her, giving her gifts and taking her traveling. The pastor said, trips to where? He said, when for our 25th anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. The crowd nodded and murmured in appreciation. When things quieted down, the pastor winked and said, what a terrific example of gift giving to husbands in this room. Ralph, so tell us, what gift are you going to give your wife for your 50th anniversary? Ralph said, well, I'm going to go back to China and pick her up. <laughs> the fourth love language is called acts of service. By acts of service, Chapman means to do things you know your spouse would like you to do. Love is a choice. It cannot be coerced. We must constantly find ways to do things for our spouse. My wife's love language is acts of service. So that means I come home, if I'm home first, and I make dinner, or I help clean up after dinner if she makes dinner, or I go and clean the house for her, although I don't do it the way she would do it. But I do all those kinds of things just to kind of show her that she's loved. This old man was laying on his deathbed. He only had hours to live when he suddenly smelt chocolate chip cookies. He loved chocolate chip cookies more than anything else in the world. So with his last bit of energy, he pulled himself out of bed. He struggled across the floor to the stairs, heading down the stairs into the kitchen. And there his wife was making baking cookies. He was thrilled. His wife was going to show her love to him one last time by baking these cookies. But as he reached for one, his wife smacked his hand and said, leave those alone. They're for the funeral. <laughs> Not a way to show your love. <laughs> Last love language is touch. This involves little things like holding hands, putting your arm around each other, kissing, and yes, even sex. But don't make the mistake of believing that touch that you give her also brings pressure back and forth. A common mistake many men is assuming that physical touch is their primary love language because they desire sex so much. And most sexual problems in marriage have little to do with physical technique, but everything to do with meeting an emotional need. So Chapman suggests three ways to discover your primary love language. What does your spouse do or fail to do that hurts you the most deeply? What have you most often requested of your spouse? And in what way do you regularly express your love to your spouse? Almost never do two people fall in love in the same day. And almost never do they fall out of love on the same day. Chapman calls this the disequipment, the, basically falling out of love. <laughs> the problem of how men and women relate to each other is not new. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. And the solution is not near e new either. It goes back to that same garden. It was never God's will that men and women should fight each other, hate each other, abuse each other, fear each other. We did that to ourselves. Our basic problem is self-centeredness. We all want to go our own way, to do our own thing, and to have the world follow our own personal agenda. Because we care more about ourselves than about other people. And we are doomed to have a hard time relating to each other. 
But self-centeredness is not a gender issue. At its deepest level, it has nothing to do with being a man or being a woman because we are equally susceptible to living only for ourselves. Our basic problem is sinful pride, a desire to be the center of the universe. And that problem will only be solved by returning to the cross of Jesus Christ where our egos can be crucified away. Galatians 2 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for keeping the law could make us right with God. Then there was no need for Christ to die. I want to end this morning with this thought. So the worship team can come on back out. All of us have that self-centeredness. So many of us go into a relationship thinking, that relationship will make me happy. They'll meet all my needs. The only person that can meet all your needs is Jesus Christ. You do not go into marriage to be happy. You make your marriage happy. You must choose every day the joy of the Lord over the happiness of this world. In a moment, we're going to move. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't have that Jesus Christ in your heart, then your needs will never get met. Then you will never be satisfied. For God has created a hole in us that only he can fill. And and no relationship, no amount of anything can fill that hole except for Jesus Christ. So the moment we're going to move, our communion stations are all over the room along with our offering boxes where you can give to continue to continue this ministry. And also, I know Dave will be down here and I'll be down here. If you are ready to meet Jesus, man, I would love to introduce you to him. And some of you, you are in marriages right now that are really, really struggling. Maybe you need to come down together and to pray that God would heal your marriage. That you would realize that the two of you are different and God intended it that way. Maybe you need to go to the cross and pray. Or we'll be up here if you need prayer for any reason. So let's pray. Father God, we just praise you and we just thank you again this morning for your presence here. And Father, for making us so different. And Father, I just pray this morning. I know there are couples out here that are struggling this morning. Father, I just pray this morning will be a new chapter in their lives. A new way for them to relate to each other. A new way to show love to one another. But most of all, Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they have Jesus Christ in their hearts. For without Jesus in their lives, none of their needs will ultimately be met. For you, Father, are so faithful and so loving that you gave us your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now's the time to move.
from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt So 
seated. In showing his ultimate love, Jesus Christ that night sat down with his disciples at the Passover meal. And after going through the whole Passover story and remembering all that God had done for the people of Israel, and remembering the manna that God had given to those people in the desert, Jesus took that unleavened bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So as often as you eat of it, remember him. Then Jesus took the cup of wine and he explained to them, this is the blood of the new covenant which will be poured out for you. So as often as we drink of it, remember him. Those love languages I talked about are good for parents dealing with children too. Because your children have love languages too. And learning what they are can bring a lot of joy in your child's life. And I think we're ready for baptism. Church. Good morning, everybody. We have a special day today. Um, we have Ricky here today to be baptized by his daughters. We have Jamie and Jessica. Jamie was actually baptized here this past summer, if you remember, so special day. Yeah, Ricky's 71 years young, too, so it's never too late. All right, Ricky, we're ready to get this done, so just repeat after me. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Christ. Son of the living God. Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. To be my personal Lord and Savior. And be my personal Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. Because your confession, and I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and gift of eternal life. And they're going to hopefully get you back up. <laughs> we'll jump. David will jump in. Don't drop me. <laughs> I'm not going to drop you. You ready? You want us to hold the nose or do you want All right, ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. Got to get him on. <laughs> remind you all on next or this coming Saturday night we have um, a Valentine's dinner for married couples or engaged couples or just couples coming want to come together uh, we're going to have a comedian where Mark's feed store is going to be catering it so uh, it will be a great time you just need to go to the website and sign up and men remember we have Super Bowl party tonight here at church so uh, come to that as well. So you all go out of here, go love God, love people, and watch him change the world.